He's back. Yes, he is back, ladies and gentlemen, and the he I'm referring to is not myself for once, although I suppose I'm back as well here every week. I am Blaine the Brain, and this is the Royal Ramble that you're listening to. And although Carmelo Hayes might be him, and he was certainly back this week as well, him is not the he either. I'll get to it in just a little bit, but I have a pretty big show for your listening pleasure today. In fact, it's been a pretty huge week in all of pro wrestling, which is definitely a good problem to have. The WWE had their Fastlane event last weekend, which I spoke of in great detail. That was in Indianapolis, and then of course part of the fallout from Fastlane this past week on Raw. Not really much to speak of there, I think they've just kind of planted the seeds for what to expect for their upcoming Saudi show, Crown Jewel. We already know the main event, or at least one of them, and that will be Seth Rollins putting his WWE world title on the line against Drew McIntyre. I have no problem with that match. It's definitely one suitable enough for the main event, but I just feel like they could have waited a week to make the announcement. I've always preferred a more gradual storyline development or tease, but they just went right into it, and I felt like Seth could have taken the night off to sell the impact of his match at Fastlane versus Shinsuke Nakamura. But it appears that both have just kind of been hotshotted into new programs. Nakamura with Ricochet and Rollins with Drew. I mean, yeah, Ricochet and Nakamura do have more recent history, so it does make sense, but I feel like there should have been some kind of break in the action instead of just immediately building to the next show. That said, I am curious to see what happens with Drew. They seem to be teasing a heel turn, and I appreciate the fact that it is very subtle at the moment and does actually make sense. They emphasize this week that Drew has not been world champion in three years, and they also had him prevent Damian Priest from cashing in his Money in the Bank contract without actually saving Seth from a beatdown. And Drew's argument made sense that he's simply protecting his own investment, but if something doesn't concern him, he doesn't have to get involved. I love this, particularly because of the logic involved. It kind of reminds me of the show Cobra Kai, where some of the storyline heels are really only heels due to circumstance, and not because they're particularly bad, but just involved in several misunderstandings with the babyface characters. I really hope there is something more long-term here, and I honestly think Drew may win the title, at least for a short-term run, just to further advance his current character. But then we fast forward to Tuesday, which was the biggest night of the week for wrestling fans, and that's because both WWE and AEW stacked the deck with their respective cards. NXT had plenty of cameos by WWE legends and current main roster talent, while AEW announced its title Tuesday episode. I have to say, as a wrestling fan of over 30 years, overall I wasn't impressed with either show, and I know that puts me in the minority, probably even on an island unto myself, and I'm fine with it. Let's put it this way, I thought both shows were good, but there was really nothing on either show that lived up to the expectation that they created, nothing lived up to the hype. Sure, NXT had a ton of cameos, which certainly must have boosted their ratings a little bit, but what happens next week when Cena and Cody and Taker are not there? Then what? If history has taught me anything, it's that nothing is as important as the follow-up, so I think next week's episode will probably be more important than this past week's. Honestly, I think WWE did a good job once again of reminding their viewers that NXT is an inferior product and that the talent on NXT are not stars. Roxanne Perez, I think, had a great match with Asuka on Tuesday. It was probably Roxanne's best match to date, and sure that might open a few more eyes when she's on TV, but they couldn't just give her a win. 
I mean, okay, Asuka is a former multiple-time champion, but she's not the current champion. So why not just put Roxanne over? I didn't get that, but I also didn't like what happened after the match. Firstly, Shotzi was on commentary for whatever reason. I'm assuming it was just to announce that she and Scarlett would be hosting the first night of Halloween Havoc on October 24th. And then she saved Roxanne from a post-match beating by Kiana James. Look, I'm actually a Shotzi fan, but come on, she's basically a jobber or mid-card talent at best on SmackDown, and then she comes to NXT and suddenly she's a main event caliber star? That doesn't add up. I actually hope she stays in NXT following Halloween Havoc and continues to develop her character because I do think she has a ton of potential. But I just didn't think it was the best use of her on the show, and I didn't think it did any favors for either Kiana James or Roxanne. I think the better option would have been for Asuka to come to Roxanne's rescue, and then after clearing the ring of Kiana, the two of them basically just acknowledge each other with a mutual nod of respect. I think that would have done more to put Roxanne over than what they actually did. Moving along, they booked this non-title match between Ilya Dragunov and Dominic Mysterio. Or at least I think it was non-title. Honestly, I lost all interest when they made LA Knight the guest referee. Now don't get me wrong, I like Knight, but again, I think he was misused on this show. He has no connection to Judgment Day on the main roster, nor does he have any history with Dragunov, so not sure why he had to be involved in this. The match itself was great though, and of all the NXT talent, I think Ilya came out looking the best, as he should being the champion and all. Cody Rhodes actually booked that match, and basically his announcement was that he was going to be the guest general manager for the night. I'm not sure who made that call, but whatever. But then Cody also announced that the men's Dusty Cup will take place following the women's breakout tournament. That part actually made sense, and that was the announcement that I was expecting, although they probably thought it wasn't a big enough announcement for what they had teased, which I guess is why they threw the GM thing in there. The main event featured Carmelo Hayes with John Cena in his corner against Braun Breaker with Paul Heyman in his corner. The winner would be added to the world title match at Halloween Havoc. This kind of puzzled me as well when the announcement was made because, much like LA Knight, there's really no connection between Carmelo and Cena except for the fact that they're both from Boston. But even then, it's kind of reaching. But Braun and Heyman, I think I have more interest in. I think once the bloodline angle fizzles out, I wouldn't mind Heyman and Braun becoming a permanent pairing. I did kind of like Braun's interaction with Cena earlier in the show, but I didn't care for the aftermath of this match. The match itself was fine, though a little overbooked. Cena prevented Braun from using the steel steps, and then Solo got involved, so he and Cena fought to the back, while Hayes put Braun away to win the match. And then following a post-match beatdown by Braun, it was the one and only Undertaker making a rare appearance, he came out in his biker attire and got right in Braun's face. I kind of enjoyed this at first, until Taker basically bested Braun and made quick work of him with the chokeslam. I thought this made Braun look weak and the NXT product overall look inferior. But again, that's just my opinion and it'll all depend on the follow-up. The best thing that happened on this show for me is something I actually missed on the live episode but caught later on, and that is the much-anticipated debut and repackaging of one Brian Pillman Jr. He was given a new name, but it wasn't one of those random generator type names. This one has a meaning behind it, and the change actually makes sense and solidifies Pillman as a monster heel who can already be inserted into the top mix in NXT. I thought it was the best promo I've ever heard out of him, and I love the new look and the overall production of the video. Great stuff. On the AEW show, I thought there were a couple of good matches. 
Swerve and Danielson had a great match, though I'm not sure why Hangman would get involved. To me, that just kind of makes Danielson look like the heel. Not that it matters to AEW, because there are apparently no such things as babyface and heels anymore. Hangman Page and Jay White also had a really good match, and while I'm looking forward to MJF and White at full gear, I'm confused as to why MJF would just let Jay White walk around for a week with his world title belt. That just made him look weak, and the fact that he had to ask for it back was just the icing on the cake. And then this thing with Adam Cole and the Kingdom. The vignettes are funny, but it adds nothing to the story in my opinion, and it was just for a cheap pop if nothing else. We had two title changes on the show as well, with Orange Cassidy subbing in for Jon Moxley, regaining the international title from Ray Fenix, and then later Hikaru Shida taking the women's title from Soraya. I guess both changes were surprising if you haven't been following the dirt sheets for lack of a better word, but supposedly both Fenix and Soraya are dealing with injuries. And then in the main event, as should rightfully be the case, was the much-anticipated in-ring debut of Adam Copeland against the dinosaur known as Luchasaurus. This match went pretty well how I expected it to go, but I noticed that Copeland was taking a few more bumps in this match that he would never have taken in WWE. I'm not sure if a guy with a history of neck problems should be taking any kind of pile driver, for instance, but that's what happened. And he appeared to be okay afterwards, though I'm not a doctor, and I can't speak for the performer either. It's clear that they are obviously building toward Adam versus Christian, which I guess is the right way to go. I'm not so sure what this means for Nick Wayne or Luchasaurus, but Adam Copeland is obviously the priority, and you don't want to put him in the pay-per-view match against someone who may be seen as a lesser talent. And that's not a shot at either of those guys, but there's no question who the biggest star is in Christian's group, and it's not either one of them. SmackDown also had its share of surprises this week. Remember the he I spoke about? Well, he was the tribal chief himself. Roman Reigns returned to WWE programming after an over two-month absence, and it honestly felt like he never left. The crowd was on fire, and several stories were set into motion and advanced. It truly felt like the start of a new season. I like the opening segment with him and Cena and the involvement of LA Knight to set up a potential program for WrestleMania, though considering how the show ended, perhaps the plan has already been set into motion for Crown Jewel next month. I wouldn't have a problem with it, but only if it ended in some kind of inconclusive finish where LA Knight can get a strong victory in war games at Survivor Series, because you don't want to kill his momentum just yet. I also didn't care for the fact that when Jimmy attacked Knight, that Cena just stood there and let Solo intimidate him. It just made Cena look weak, but I kind of understand why they did it. I also really like the stare-down between not only Jey Uso and the rest of the Bloodline after he and Cody retained their tag titles later, but also the stare-down between Roman and Cody to tease a potential rematch between the two, which is another possible direction they could go for Mania. But if that's the case, I would think Cody has to win this one. I just think because Roman is so close to destroying Hulk Hogan's championship record and one of Bruno's that there is no chance that that isn't happening, and the only way it could is if Roman remains champ after Mania. That said, I would actually prefer if Roman faced a part-time guy like The Rock so he doesn't hurt anyone by retaining his title. They also announced a new general manager on this season premiere episode of SmackDown, and he was none other than former NWA champion Nick Aldis, finally making his WWE debut. I'm not so sure if this was the best use of him, but only time will tell. He did a really good job in this episode, but didn't get much of a reaction, though it is WWE and the expectation there is that the majority of that audience doesn't really watch anything but. That's the assumption, rather. 
Aldis has always been a great talker, but I'm not so much a fan of wrestlers being used as authority figures, partly because you know they are capable of backing up their words instead of just talking and eventually getting their comeuppance. This move is kind of intriguing though, so I'm looking forward to see what develops from this. Speaking of developments, we finally had some physical or at least verbal interaction involving Jade Cargill, who exchanged some words with Charlotte Flair this week. I'm not so sure how I feel about Charlotte being positioned as the heel here, but I do love the way that they are automatically positioning people like Jade and Pillman as stars so that anyone from AEW who sees this may think the grass is greener on the other side. And then on the Thursday show, the build to Bound for Glory continues. That event will take place next week, and I may have a guest on the program to help me preview the show. For now, I'll just run through some quick thoughts. I think the match I am most looking forward to is the one-on-one -on -one encounter between Speedball Mike Bailey and Will Ospreay, probably the two busiest workers of 2023, and definitely two front-runners for Wrestler of the Year. That one should be a banger, and I'm assuming Osprey will be going over, as he has the heavier schedule at the moment, and you need to kind of keep his momentum going. Osprey isn't the only New Japan talent on the show. Kenta will also challenge Chris Sabin for the X Division title, which is another match that I'm highly anticipating. I think the outcome will depend on whether or not Kenta is sticking around post-bound for glory. I don't expect him to, and therefore I'm expecting a Chris Sabin victory. The main event will be for the world title between Alex Shelley and former champion Josh Alexander. I expect this one to be a fantastic in-ring contest as well, but I think this may be where we get the official heel turn for Shelley, and those heel tactics will end up keeping the belt on him. I feel in Alexander's case we've already been there and done that, while Shelley could have potential programs with Sabin, Kushida, Moose who has the Feast or Fired case, whomever wins the 20-person gauntlet, and also a potential rematch for with Alexander. There are multiple stories to be told there. I'll leave it there for now. Next week, I will be back to review Bound for Glory and the UFC pay-per-view now headlined by Islam Makashev against Alexander Volkanovsky for the lightweight title. Until we meet again, I leave you with an ABC. Yeah.